Hey everybody, this is Nathan and Heath from Brewery Ministries. We're going to talk about what does the word day mean in Genesis chapter 1. So kind of a tricky question there. We are looking at our discussion questions that you can find on our website at breweryministries.org in the Bible Overview Discussion Series. And we're looking at questions 1 and 5 on guide number 2, which discusses Genesis chapter 1. So we're hoping you can use these discussion questions to sit down with some friends, make your own house, church, whatever you want. So number one here is sort of an icebreaker. And I was thinking about some of the metaphors in the Bible. We touched on that last episode. And I started to think, you know, learning these metaphors and learning about the culture of the Bible is not that different from learning the lore of a video game or a movie. So I came up with this question. This is our first question that I'm going to ask Heath here. Have you ever seen a movie that featured rich lore, such as Lord of the Rings, Dune, or Star Wars. Does the lore intrigue you, or does it make it harder for you to get into the story? I think it depends on the movie. I watched a TV series called The Witcher. It's based on books, and man, it's a fantasy world kind of thing. I love it. It's because it's got swords versus magic, and combinations of both, and it was just cool. I got really invested oh, man, into it. I, I, spent, that was a book. I spent hundreds of hours in the games and expansion packs. I'm a video gamer. It's pretty cool. Okay, so the lore was not a barrier to getting invested with the with the series then. It wasn't information overload. Right. It actually made me invested. The lore itself made me invested. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've watched movies before where I'm like, oh, this world they've built is really cool and I want to know more. And then I've watched other movies where I'm like, I can't keep track of this. It's too hard. And Dune was somewhat intimidating to watch, but Mm -hmm. I did actually get into it because the movie was done really well, but it had to convince me that I I needed to learn the lore. And even now, like I can't, I can't name half the houses in that movie. Harry Potter, Harry Potter's got lore. That's another example. Yeah. Yeah. I was into that when I was a kid. And after the fourth book, it just kind of went. Yeah. The book was too long for me. That's where I stopped. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So then the lore got too intimidating. Right. But I asked this question because a lot of people are intimidated to read the Bible. I mean, it is really thick, tiny print. There's all these tribes to keep track of. So I I thought of it like lore. There's a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. I think the more I've learned about it, the, the easier it is to get interested and invested in it, and the easier it is to read some of the books I'm less familiar with. But most people, including me when I was younger, I had no idea where to start because it just felt like there was just so much lore to learn. There was a book I tried to read uh a little, a little while ago, I read the first few chapters. I just couldn't get into it. And the reason why I couldn't get into it is because it requires that you read several other books before it to be able to understand what's kind of going on here. Sometimes you can get that with the Bible. Like if you start in the New Testament, you're missing out on all of the stuff that happened in the Old Testament that is a basis for the New Testament. I know that's going a little deep, but if you feel like, you know, you're struggling to understand the lore that's probably why there's a lot to it Mm -hmm. yeah i I don't even know where to tell people to start like i don't think it's a bad thing to just jump in at mark just to get your feet wet because i don't know that there's really a good starting point i mean if you jump in at genesis 
I like that book, but once you get to Exodus and they start talking about some of the real dry stuff, mm -hmm. like it gets real hard to just read from beginning to end if mm -hmm. if you don't know the lore. So I don't know. My recommendation, I guess, would be jumping at Mark or maybe Genesis. But you know, if you get bored, just try another book. I guess. <laughs> right. That's what I did. <laughs> Until you're more familiar with the lore, then you can come back. Well, let's jump into this other question, number five, because this is the one people are going to really want to know about. <laughs> A lot of people want to know in Genesis chapter one, does the word day, does that mean 24 hours or does that mean the light part of the day or does that mean like an era, like, like an undefined long period of time? Because the creation story in the Bible in Genesis suggests that there were seven days of creation. Like on one day, the heavens and the earth were created. On another day, we've got animals. And on another day, we've got humans. So I guess one of the burning questions of the last several thousand years is basically, <laughs> does that word day mean a literal day? Or is that a metaphor for an era? So off the top here in this question, I gave people some context for this because I found out something I didn't know until I studied it. In Hebrew, there are three possible definitions for that word day. There is a literal 24-hour period, the time between sunrise and sunset, and an undefined period of time, age, or era. So in the original language, we do have three possible options, and we would have to use context and look for clues to try to figure out which one is most likely. So my first question for you, Heath, were you aware that there were three possible meanings of that word? I was aware of two, and that's the 24-hour period and the undefined period of time. I didn't know about the period between sunrise and sunset. Could be, mm -hmm. I guess you could think of that like daytime. Yeah, well, that's interesting because we still have that in English. We still use the word day that way. And that's mm -hmm. not always the case that they thought of a word the same as we do, but they do in this case. I guess I knew intuitively that day might mean a long period of time. But when I was younger and even recently, I have actually been told that there's only one way to take this verse. It has to be literal. There's no literary case for a metaphoric meaning of the first day. So some people will tell you that, and I know a lot of people who struggle to believe the Bible could be true because they just believe that, you know, the earth was made over a longer period of time and not in seven literal days. So when I've been in conversation with some of those people, when I tell them about this other potential definition that day can mean an era, it's like a light bulb goes off in their head like, oh, really? Like they weren't aware of that. So one thing I wanted to do was communicate all of the options. And now I'll throw in just a little bit of a, a neat fact, I think. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, if you're looking at an ESV, I think an NRSV translation, a King James, or, or a lot of the major ones, there is a metaphoric use of the word day in that verse. A lot of people don't know that because there's three major translations, NLT, NIV, and another one that leave that word, that metaphoric use of the word day out, but it's in the original manuscript. So I think it's really important that people realize there is actually more than one way to view that word day. And once you realize that, then we can have an interesting conversation like, well, what do you think that actually means? So... I actually skipped over that part on this uh, discussion question sheet because instead of going into, well, which definition do you think it is? 
I asked the question, which definition the author had in mind is less important than his main point? So what do you think the main spiritual point the author was trying to communicate was? Because regardless of your definition for the word day, that spiritual truth that he's trying to communicate can still be intact. So what do you think that was in Genesis chapter one in the creation story? For me, it was, wasn't so much as the timeline that God made things, it was that God made them. To put it simply. Yeah. Like it didn't just appear out of nowhere. Yeah. There's there's some theories that say the universe and all the things in it recreated itself over and over and over again for eternity. I don't necessarily ascribe to that theory, but the theory is out there. And there are multiple of mm-hmm. and it just gets complicated too when you add in multiverse theory. Do you like multiverse theory? Does it intrigue you? It does. I used to be opposed to it because it was speculative. And I tend to want some some data behind something. And as far as I could tell, 10 years ago, there was no actual evidence for multiverse theory. It was just speculation, right? Now, I think there's been some possible evidence that points to it. Um, so I'm intrigued by the theory, and I'm not opposed to it. I actually think it wouldn't undermine the main point of Genesis 1, but I used used to think the opposite. There was a Christian scientist who wrote this book called Who's Afraid of the Multiverse? And I heard him give an interview on this and explain why it would not undermine the truth of the creation story here. That kind of got my attention. So I guess over the years, I've kind of expanded my possibilities here. I'm like, okay, I, I have discovered a lot of metaphors buried in this chapter. Mm-hmm. So maybe I shouldn't be married to the science. I actually I actually find some of the creation science really interesting, uh, mainly the older Earth stuff. But I realized I don't know if I should put too many eggs in that basket if there's so much potential mm-hmm. metaphor here. And I should look at that stuff as entertainment. And I should focus here more on the spiritual truth because... I think the original audience had no idea what science was. So maybe the author wasn't actually writing science necessarily. Or they might have had different views of science and science changed over time as we found out more. But the yeah. views of faith are the same, right? The main mm-hmm. spiritual points, those carry yeah. through time and are unchanging. Well, I'll ask you a really tricky question and that's not on the discussion sheet. Ooh, a bonus. I found out that the authors of the Bible and the ancient people of that time period, they actually believed the earth was a flat disk and that the sky was solid and that it would part for the rain to fall. And they called it the dome. So I was reading a translation of the Bible. I can't remember which version it is. It might be NASB. And it actually says something in Genesis 1 about like God making the dome. The sky is a dome. And that's what that was. Like the dome to them was a solid sky. It's like they thought they lived in a snow globe or something. So if you were to find out that whoever wrote Genesis thought they lived in a dome with a solid sky, like a snow globe, would that trouble you at all? Would that make you think that the Bible's not true or that the story isn't true? How do you reconcile that? I reconcile it by not taking too much stake in the science aspects of the Bible. Sure, some of them are right, but some of them are also wrong. Mm -hmm. And what in your mind makes it okay? Because I agree with you. I I don't think we should put too much stock in the science, but what in your mind tells you and lets you know when you're reading this that maybe that's not the purpose of it, that it's okay to say, I'm not looking for science here? Well, I think the faith portion carries forward through time and is unchanging and it's relatable no matter if you're here or then. Science is a little 
is a little different. If you told people back then about germ theory, they're going to go like, what? We don't see any germs. We just see air. Like, what's air? So it's more the concept of faith that, that the Bible was addressing. Okay, so there's a quote by Galileo that said, the Bible shows the way to go to heaven, not the way the heavens go. And I think that's really interesting because... Oh, how, how do you observe heaven? That's that's the main thing. Can you can you observe heaven? There are some people that say they've seen angels, but have they seen heaven? There are books about you know people supposedly seeing heaven in dreams. Is that real? Yeah, some kind of a glimpse of the spiritual reality, right? Right. Like, can you empirically test faith? Probably not. Some people have tried. It's inconclusive sometimes. That that really makes it difficult for me. You know, like faith healing, does it work? Is it supposed to work? Are we viewing it the mm-hmm. wrong way? And that can lead into questions, are you doing doing faith right? That's that's another hard question, probably not for this discussion, but that goes back to what, what the author has in mind. So what do you think yeah. the main point that the author's trying to make is? I think it is humanity's relationship to God and the point that God created the universe instead of, you know, as opposed to some other God or it coming into a existence by itself. So it's about God being the creator and, you know, creating humans and and being our spiritual father, right? So that's what I think. And I I think what you said is really good because, I mean, they could be wrong about the science and right about the spiritual truth here. And that wouldn't concern you. Is that what you were saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there could still be value to the spiritual truth, even if maybe they were wrong about what the sky was like or something like that. Well, they didn't have the tools to measure it either. Yeah, so that's good. I think that's helpful because you know some people are going to see some things in the creation story that beg modern scientific questions. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that if their purpose wasn't to write to us about science, but was to write to us about spiritual things, maybe that gives us permission to not worry about the, the science so mm-hmm. much. But I do love Hugh Ross and his work. So I will continue to enjoy that as entertainment. Well, that's all I've got for this episode. I think uh, there's a lot to think about here. If you want to sit down with somebody and talk about this subject, we put together these discussion questions that contain some of the cultural context. So you can see what some of the metaphors in Genesis are. So you can have no teaching skills whatsoever. Just pull up your phone or print off this guide and open up your Bible, sit down with somebody. It doesn't matter if you have faith or you don't have faith. They're designed for everybody to be able to talk about this stuff. So if you want to check that out, go to breweryministries.org, click on free discussion guides. You can email me with any comments or questions at breweryministries at gmail.com. And we will be back soon with another episode. See ya. See ya.